Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the sixth chapter. He says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the word of the Lord. Well, let me just say what I said yesterday, which is that it's a true joy to be here. Every time my wife and I get to come to Birmingham, we love this city more, we love this church more, and we love you more. So it's been a great encouragement to us, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. And what I want to do this morning in the few minutes we have together is just talk a little bit about this well-known passage to many, this armor of God. But it's also a very strange passage. I did an experiment just to figure out how strange this passage about the armor of God and all this talk about the helmet of salvation and belts of truth and shoes of readiness and breastplates of righteousness. I mean, what is this stuff? And so what I thought I would do is I would go out and try to purchase it. And I would see if this was possible. And so what I did was I went to the place where you can buy anything. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bass Pro Shop. But at the Bass Pro Shop, you can buy anything. And so I walked in there. I had my son. He's seven now. He was five at the time. And we walked right in. And I found someone working sort of in the hunting department. And I said, I would like to buy my son the whole armor of God. And he looked at me, as you would expect, a little curiously. And he said, well, I'm sorry. We don't carry that. Sort of very straight-faced. And I said, well, that's very unfortunate because it sounds important. But could you at least tell me where I can get the helmet of salvation? And would you believe it? He looked at me and said, aisle 16. Can't believe it. So we went to aisle 16, as you would expect. You know, there was kayaking helmets and spelunking helmets, but no helmet of salvation. And it just confirmed for me what I've always thought about this passage: that it's strange. What is this, and where do you get it? And I think the first thing to say is that this is a strange armor because it's designed and given to fight an uncommon battle. Right? We, it talks in here about how we fight against not flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of darkness. And apparently, whoever we're fighting against, it says, has flaming arrows. Right? It sounds like a good movie, but also something you don't want to be part of. So what is this? And I think the best way to describe what this strange battle is, is to say this. What these flaming arrows are. This is the battle that takes place between the time when Jesus has been raised from the dead, but we're still waiting to be resurrected. It's the time in which we confess with Paul in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. And yet in experience, life can feel like a constant barrage of accusations from ourselves and from others. And what I think this battle is, or who I think it's fought against, is who I like to call the archer of accusation. 
And I think what these flaming arrows are is they're the naming or the recalling of our sin and our shame. And then they whisper in our ear, God could never love you. You thought what about your young child? God could never love you. You said that to your spouse? God could never love you. You kept that information from your boss? God could never love you. And on and on this battle goes. And as I see it, there's basically two ways to fight against this sort of constant arsenal of flaming arrows that says God could never love you. There's two kinds of armor you could wear. One is the armor that you have yourself. And let's talk about that one first. This would be the armor that you would construct out of your own attributes and your own achievements. You would try to defend yourself based on your own resume. Right? The Bible has a name for this. It calls it the righteousness that comes from the law. But I think we can illustrate this well with one of my personal heroes, a guy named John Fitzgerald Page. Now, some of you may have heard of him. He was famous for about 15 minutes in 2007. And he was famous because an online news source declared him the worst person in the world. This is every mother's dream for their son, I think. He was declared the worst person in the world. And in brief, here's what happened. Like many, many people, he was on one of these online dating sites. I think he was on Match.com. And a potential suitor tried to start a conversation with him. And he responded, and this is what he said. This is not what got him worst person in the world, though this was almost enough. But this is what he said, just to kick off the conversation. Instead of, hi, how you doing? Want to get a coffee? This is what he said. I live in a 31-story high-rise condominium. I went to an Ivy League school. Where did you go to school? What activities do you participate in to stay in shape? I work out four times a week at LA Fitness. I'm six feet tall, 185 pounds. Do you have any other recent photos you care to share? I have many, if you'd like to see them. And this is what he says to start his conversation. Now, clearly what he's done, and we can sympathize with this, is he's put out the things that he thought were great about himself, right? This is the stuff about me that I'm proud of. This is the stuff about me I'm sure this potential mate will be interested in. So he puts out this resume of his attributes and achievements. But what happens, I think very understandably, is that the girl responds with a simple, no thanks, right? She was not particularly impressed by the way he presented himself. But this is where it gets really good. He had put out what he thought was the best of himself, and he had been rejected. And so now he needs to defend himself from this flaming arrow of rejection, this I could never love you that came his way. And he suits up in a very impressive armor of his own attributes and achievements and responds with this email, which then won him the title worst person in the world. He said, I think you forgot how this works. You hit on me, and therefore you have to impress me and pass my standards. Six pictures, just remember he said this, not me, six pictures of just your head and your inability to answer a single question lets me know one thing. You must not be in very good shape. I'm a trainer on the side. In fact, I'm heading to the gym in 26 minutes. 
So next time you meet a guy of my caliber, he says, instead of trying to turn it around, why don't you just go to the gym? So you don't blow it with the next, and here comes his armor of attributes, ready? So you don't blow it with the next Ivy League grad, Mensa member, can bench squat leg press over 1,200 pounds, has had lunch with the Secretary of Defense, has an MBA from the top business school in the country, drives a Beamer convertible, has been in 14 major motion pictures, is one of America's best-looking people. I don't even know. Yeah, that's just what he says. I'm one of America's best-looking people. And then he says, oh, that's right. There aren't any more of those. Send. Right? Send. And, well, we would all admit that that's a fairly extreme case of someone trying to defend themselves with their own attributes and achievements. The reason that story has always stuck with me is because it actually hits a little close to the bone. I don't know if any of you um, are on or pay any attention to things like Facebook, for example. Um, if you don't, well then God bless you because that's a, that's a very good decision. But nevertheless, this is how it actually works. What happens is you have a normal day which includes a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. So maybe, just hypothetically, if you're roughly my age and have, say, three children, this is completely hypothetical, you might have a normal day where, you know, you go to the park and you're trying to do something fun. And your kids are riding around on scooters, and it's fun. But then one of them falls off and scrapes their knees, so they're not having fun anymore. And because their knees hurt, they just sort of randomly threw a rock. They weren't trying to do anything malicious, but that randomly thrown rock may have hit their sister in an eye, right? So now she's not having fun anymore. And then the youngest just cries because everyone's crying, and that's what you do. And you go home and say, well, that didn't work. Let's just stop at the grocery store, right? So we can get some lunch and go home. But I don't know how long it's been since you tried to take three children to a grocery store, but I believe this should be an Olympic sport because there's nothing you can do. You put them all in the shopping cart, that's a lose. That has real consequences. You let them all out of the shopping cart, this has real consequences. And sort of through the skin of your teeth, you make it to the checkout line. You've been at the park. Now you've been at the grocery store, and you get to the checkout line, and in my experience, 100% of the time, a very well-meaning cashier looks at you, looks at your children, and says, treasure these days. It's the best time of life. And you think, if that's true, God help us all, right? But then you get through the rest of the day, you finally get the kids to bed, and here's where the Facebook thing kicks in, because what you do then is you sit down on the couch, you sort of flip through your phone for some pictures. You find this nice picture you took at the park just before the boy fell off and scraped his knees and then threw a rock and hit his sister, and it all sort of went downhill. It's a nice picture. You put it on Facebook, and you give it a little caption like, perfect day at the park with my angels. Right? This is what we do. We hide so much of what's really going on behind the things that we think look like they're good. Or worthy. And in that way, we're a lot like John Fitzgerald Page. But here's the reality none of this armor of our own attributes and achievements can actually defend us from the arrows of accusation. They just don't work. I mean, do you think John Fitzgerald Page was getting a lot of dates after his little email exchange? And what the Bible says when it comes to our resume is just one short phrase. It says, no one is righteous. No, not one. That's the resume of our own attributes 
and achievements. So if we can't fight the arrows with what we have, then what can we do? And this is where the armor of God comes in. The armor of God is not the armor that we already have. It's the armor that God gives when he gives us Jesus. I just want you to very briefly think about the things that are listed in the armor of God. It talks about the belt of truth. And it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It talks about shoes of readiness that are given by the gospel of peace. Romans 5.1 says, having been declared righteous by God, we have peace with him. The helmet of salvation, just a couple chapters earlier in Ephesians, it says, by grace you have been saved. Or the sword of the Spirit? Well, in John 15, Jesus says explicitly that when the Spirit comes, he will witness about me. The Spirit's the one who gives us Jesus. And finally, the shield of faith, which is the one thing that can extinguish these flaming arrows. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Jesus Christ. And so, what the armor of God is... The one thing that can actually defend us from the flaming arrows that whisper our sin and shame and say God could never love you is Jesus Christ himself. He is your resume of righteousness. He is the truth that is stronger than the lie. See, the lie comes and shows you your sin and says, who do you think you are? But God comes, shows you his son and says, you are my beloved. In you I am well pleased. The lie comes and reminds you of your secrets and says, if anyone knew, God comes and gives you Jesus and says, I know, and I'm here. The lie comes and recalls your shame and says, no one could ever love you. But God shows you Jesus and he says, oh, yes, I do. Remember what the prophets, both Jeremiah and Isaiah, say. They say, in the voice of God, I will remember their sins no more. I will forgive their iniquities. I know, and I know because it's true of me, that there is fear that can keep you from sleeping. I know that there are secrets that you're too afraid to share. And I know that there are sins that you cannot forget. But I want you to hear what God says in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm sleeping just fine. He says, I know your secrets. And he says, the sins you cannot forget, I cannot remember. And so I just want to say to you in closing what Paul said to the church in Ephesus. Put on the whole armor of God. Hear again that Jesus Christ is given to you. And say to the lie that God could never love you in the words of a beautiful old hymn, Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them and a thousand more. But God, he knows none. Amen.